John chapter 1, I'm continuing for where Janet opened up last week. How exciting that we're going to be going through the Gospel of John. All right, we're going to start reading in verse 19. Janet did 1 through 18 last week, starting in verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer. To those who sent us, what do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Well, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. And it is he coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Beit Habara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Lord, we're just so grateful that your word is written, and it's not just been an oral law passed down from generation to generation. Your word is true. It has been meticulously recorded. And Lord, we pray that you would give us, again, ears to hear and a heart to receive. And Lord, change our will to become your will, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, lead us into a green pasture of greater surrender to that end. Not my will, but yours be done, O God. And Lord, as I again blow the shofar in Zion, Waco, Highland, Prime time. That, Lord, this would be prime time for each of us to tune our spiritual hearing to heaven's frequency. That we might discern what is in your heart and what you are speaking through through your servants in these hours, in these days, in this season. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who does speak to your people. And that's our prayer, Lord. Speak, your bondservants are listening. Amen. We see here in verse 19 that throughout John's gospel, we read about the Lord's interaction with the Jewish spiritual leaders in his day. 
So I, I just want to start by giving a little history about these groups uh, that are first mentioned here in chapter 1. Uh, the priests and the temple assistants, who were also called the Levites, they were highly respected religious leaders both in Jerusalem and all throughout Israel. The priests served in the temple. They had a priestly duty 14 consecutive days throughout the entire year. That's it. According to your priestly order. And the Levites were the ones who assisted them. And we see here in verse 19, it says that the Jews sent men to check out John in the wilderness. Well, the Jews that are referenced here were specifically the Pharisees, as we see confirmed in verse 24. They were a group that both John the Baptist and Jesus often confronted. The Pharisees had a strong commitment to the law as interpreted by the tradition of the elders. They were ritualistic and they were very legalistic. But the Sadducees came from leading social families and they were rationalists and materialists. They rejected the tradition of the elders and they also denied the supernatural including the possibility of a bodily resurrection. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were known for their mutual hostility toward one another. Now many of the Pharisees were deeply spiritual, whereas the Sadducees were secular men that were just dressed in religious clothes. They were there by appointment, not by spiritual discerning. And the Pharisees saw through their hypocrisy. The Sadducees flaunted their religious position among the people. They outwardly obeyed God's laws, but inwardly their hearts were filled with pride and greed. The Pharisees believed that the oral law, in other words, the traditions of the elders, and uh, traditions of the fathers, was just as important as the inspired Word of God. And the same is true today. As commentaries from famous rabbis make up the oral law that is found in the writings of both the Talmud and the Mishnah and other commentaries. In the minds of the religious leaders in John's day, there were only four options that they could see concerning John. What's his identity? Was he the prophet foretold by Moses in Deuteronomy 18? Was he Elijah prophesied in Malachi 4? Was he the Messiah or was he a false prophet? Because they had many of those. I love how John simply identified himself in the words of the prophet Isaiah. I am a voice of someone crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Quoting from Isaiah 40 verse 3. John preached with full conviction of both heart and purpose. And the result of his prophetic message is that multitudes from around the country were heeding his call to turn from their sins and to be cleansed in the waters of baptism. I want you all to turn to Matthew chapter 11. There's a great scripture here, a powerful statement that Jesus makes concerning his cousin John. Matthew chapter 11 Verse 11. Truly I say to you, 
that among those that are born of a woman, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now I've heard people comment on this verse for years. And almost always putting the weightier emphasis on the second half of the Lord's statement. But I think this morning we need to ponder the first half of this verse and see the weightiness of it. What was Jesus saying? He was saying that never has anyone ever risen to a place in God's sight that was greater than John the Baptist. What a powerful statement. Not Abraham, not Moses, not Samuel, nor David, not Elijah, nor Isaiah, nor Solomon. None was greater than John. So what made John so greatly esteemed in the Lord's sight to warrant such a comment? Well, when John first began to preach, signs were accompanying his ministry. Lives and hearts were being dramatically changed. So the spiritual leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to inquire of John and their questions as we read, Who are you? What do you say about yourself? They wanted to know what John thought about himself. Are you the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? What they wanted to do was to give him a name or a title. They wanted to know who John was, but he told them what he was, not who. He told them what he was, not who. I am a voice. John knew that he had one purpose in his life, and that was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. To prepare the way for the coming Messiah. That was his mission in life. Now the Pharisees wanted to give him a name or a title because Jewish people love to have their names and titles on things. In fact, in Israel, you can travel all throughout the country and you'll see a building and most likely you'll see someone's name because the blankety-blank-bank and the name of this donor gave so much that they want their name on the building. John wanted nothing to do with names or titles, not even a reputation. John wanted no part of it. John was on mission to prepare God's people for their long-awaited Messiah. John's call from God was to be a voice speaking the heart of the Father to a heart of his people. And he had no desire for a great name, a reputation, or a title, nor would he yield to the pride that can come easily with successful ministry. Multitudes were coming to him. He did not yield a thread to pride in that incredibly successful ministry. John stayed focused on preparing the way of the Lord. 
Is not that our same mission today? John's mission was to point people to Jesus, the Messiah. Today, if you're not aware of this, people are looking for someone or something to give them security in a world that is growing in insecurity. Our mission is much like the baptizer, to point people to the Messiah, Jesus, and to show that He alone is the only one who will give meaning to their lives and rest for their souls. John was known as the baptizer then, but you are known as the Baptists now. I think that's a special thing about the Baptist denomination. They've taken a phrase of the person that Jesus said, no one has been greater than this man. But we also are commissioned to have a function similar to his of preparing the way of the Lord. Hmm. John had a prophetic call. And so do you Baptists. There is a prophetic call on this whole denomination. Through the years in the wilderness, John cultivated a very intimate and close relationship with God. His message from God's heart was very simple. It wasn't complicated. Repent from any and from all sin. Now, what would be your response if I were to say to you this morning, okay, all of you need to repent this morning. A natural response would be, from what? I mean, from what? Friends, this is where the power of the law is revealed. Because without the law, we have no knowledge of sin. Paul expressed it like this in Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. You see, God's law for all mankind is what reveals sin in the hearts and lives of people. It's the Holy Spirit's ministry of conviction of sin, but there must be a violation of a law to make us feel guilty. And if we don't know the law, then we become more lawless. Martin Luther said the first duty of a gospel preacher is to declare God's law and to show the nature of sin. I want you to notice that John the Baptist, he didn't point to grace. He pointed to the law. And that's what brought conviction of sin. And that's what it's meant to do. The law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. The law is not a bad thing, even though many believers kind of lean that way. The law is wonderful. It's the tutor that leads us to Christ. Luke recorded John's conversation with these spiritual leaders in a little expanded way. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 3. 
<coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I say this because in John's gospel, he only mentions Isaiah 40 verse 3 in connection with John's message. But in Luke's gospel, Luke's account, he, he includes the following two verses in reference to this Isaiah prophecy. All right, you've got it. Two things. First, thing, first verse that's added, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth. Friends, this is a verse that we read and then continue to move on to the next verse. Rarely, if ever, do we really pause. What does this mean? Every valley filled, every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked made straight and the rough ways made smooth. What does that mean? Well, this is why we need to pause today and take a closer look at what the prophet John and Isaiah are declaring. The second verse that was added, that's all the first verse in Luke's gospel. Second verse that's added is Isaiah 52.10. That says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's after Every valley is lifted up, every mountain brought low, every crooked place made straight, and the rough mazes made smooth. Then shall all flesh see the salvation of God. And Luke puts these prophetic verses together as John's message and his mission to bring an awareness of sin and a call to repentance. Luke's expansion of this text concerning John the Baptist's message it is significant since it is powerfully connected as a preceding element to the Lord's coming. And John and Isaiah mention four things. Valleys filled, mountains and hills brought low, crooked made straight, rough ways made smooth. Now when God's people are convicted of sin and then truly repent, the result is always a difference in the life. Repentance brings change. If we don't like change, then we really don't like repentance. But these four things were what the Holy Spirit wanted John to highlight out of the law to bring conviction. He highlighted actually four obstacles or hindrances that need to be dealt with for all flesh to see the salvation of God. Now the Greek word for salvation is sotirion. And it means rescued or spared or saved. But I love that in the Isaiah prophecy, in Hebrew, the word for salvation is Yeshua. Or Jesus in Greek. How amazing. God wants all flesh to see His salvation. To see His Yeshua, His Jesus at work in us. So, how do these four things apply to our lives today? Valleys filled. 
The Greek word for valley simply means a chasm or a ravine. But it's interesting that this term, both in Hebrew and in Greek, it's a place to get through or to go through or to cross over. Living in a valley is dangerous. One rainfall can result in a devastating flash flood. We need to pass through valleys, not stay there. Valleys are low places that God wants to lift us out of. There's a valley of self-pity, a valley of self-centeredness or poor self-image, a valley of depression, heaviness. God wants to lift us out of those. He wants every valley of despair or depression or condemnation. He wants to get us out of the valley and into the light. You don't see much light in the valley. Shadows are everywhere from the morning and in the evening. And when we're stuck in the valley, what happens? All flesh will not see the salvation, the Yeshua of God within us if we're stuck in a valley. Mountains and hills brought low. I love this Hebrew expression. It's eanim ramot, which simply means eyes that are exalted, raised up above others, lofty, high, or superior. A mountain or a hill can easily relate to pride. The pride in heart, the proud look, the proud attitude, the proud words. The first sin committed against God was way before man was even created. It was the pride in Lucifer, the chief worship leader in heaven. And his mountain of pride was brought low. He was thrown down and cast out of heaven because of pride. Proverbs 6 gives us a list of things that God hates. And the first thing listed that God hates is a proud look. Hmm. Haughty eyes. Friends, people will not see Jesus in us if we have pride. They will not see the meek and lowly one. They will not display that they've been learning of Jesus, taking his yoke upon them, learning that humility is a chief characteristic in God's kingdom. The crooked are made straight. Well, the Greek word for crooked is skolios. <laughs> crooked, skolios. That's where we get skoliosis. It means bent or out of shape, or crooked, in need of straightening. All the crooked ways of our lives need to be made straight. All relationships that have been damaged need to be healed and mended and reconciled. John the baptizer prophesied in Matthew 3 verse 8 that our lives must bring forth fruit in keeping 
with repentance. It's not just repenting once. It's keeping repentance as a lifestyle. The truth is, sin makes us crooked. It does. It makes us crooked. It bends us out of shape with God. So every crooked area needs to be straightened by God. For you note-takers, we need to get right with others so we can be right with God. We need to get right with others so we can be right with God. We all need both forgiveness and we need cleansing. Forgiveness comes by confession, but cleansing comes by walking in the light. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. Everything that's crooked must be confessed and repented of. We need to turn to God and away from all sin. And confession with repentance is the only way that the crooked will ever be made straight. And lastly, the rough ways made smooth. The Hebrew word for rough places is rechazim. Fifty cents for someone who can repeat that. Here we go, fifty cents, I owe you. Rechassim. It means rugged or rough. And the Greek word has similar meaning, harsh or jagged. I see this as rough words. Jagged thoughts, harsh anger, rugged attitudes. As we prepare for the Lord's return, all rough ways in our lives need to be made smooth. Only then will all flesh see the salvation of God in us. Our assignment, beloved, is the same as John's. We are to share with others the message of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. See, if someone's not willing to repent, it does very little good to tell them about Jesus saves. From what? They will not see their need of a Savior without an element of the law bringing them to a place of conviction. Our mission today is the same as John's, to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. But each of us need to prepare the way of the Lord in our own hearts first. Where do we need to really repent toward God and have greater faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? These two are the cornerstones of the gospel and they are the foundation of our walk with God. These two elements elements should be at the center of our lives as we grow and as we mature in God's kingdom. The truth is Messiah Jesus is coming again soon. A lot sooner than we first believed. And the signs of His coming are everywhere. 
Those who are not prepared will be caught off guard. 1 Thessalonians 5. So we all must awaken from the slumber of this age. Ephesians 5. And we need to make preparation now. Not tomorrow, right now. Because the king is coming a lot sooner than we think. Valleys lifted up. Mountains and even hills brought low. The crooked made straight. And the rough places made smooth. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father. Oh God, we want all flesh to see your great salvation. We want all flesh to see your great Yeshua Jesus, who is the only begotten Son of yours whose name is the essence of salvation. Yeshua, Jesus, we want everyone to behold you, Lord. We want everyone to see you. Holy Spirit, would you please help each of us to prepare our hearts today for the soon second coming of the Lord Jesus, Messiah. Holy Spirit, help us to prepare for His coming personally, as John the Baptist did, so that we can fulfill our calling in this late hour, as John fulfilled his calling in his day. Grant this, Lord, to your glory and the expansion of your great kingdom. Amen. All right, we've got about uh, eight, nine minutes. Let's share around the tables um, something that stood out to you in the message today or perhaps something that has stood out to you in John chapter 1 as you've read it in preparation for this week. Next week, we're going to look at John chapter 2. So that's our assignment for next week. So enjoy your time of sharing around your tables.